Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. If you brought a Bible with you today, be it paper or digital, I want to encourage you to turn over to Galatians, the second chapter, and that's in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21, verses 16 through 21, and uh, we'll also have it on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, so that's a translation that is easy to read, easy to understand. Um, But we're not going to go there right away. First, I just want to tell you what I'm going to be speaking about. We've been in a series on this particular book of the Bible. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in the region that is now Turkey. So there's a number of churches in that area of the world. And he wrote a letter to them because he was really, really concerned that this group of churches were beginning to kind of wander away from the truth because some false teachers had come in, and those teachers were adding requirements to what it means to follow Jesus. So we learned that last week. We're going to continue along that theme, and today's message is we live by faith, and Christ lives in us. We live by faith, and Christ lives with us. How many of you know, as we learned last week, and we'll be continuing to talk about this week, we can't be right with God by keeping the rules, by being good. That's the message of the Bible. And, and really, here's the sad thing. Many of us, either through our upbringing, through maybe what's been presented to us by family members or friends or what we see on TV or in culture, we have come to this understanding that Christianity or what we call the gospel or Jesus, we've come to this understanding that religion is about being good and being good enough for God to accept you. And if you're not good enough, either what, you burn in hell, you're separated forever, or, you know, or you're rejected, or you know, you're just you're a failure. That's what we've been taught to believe. We've been taught to believe that Christianity is about your efforts to get to God. When nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian gospel, which actually makes it very unique compared to other world religions, is the idea that humanity was powerless to help themselves get to God, and so God got to them. He pursued us and chased us and came to us in the person of his son. And that's what makes the gospel unique. C.S. Lewis Many, many years ago, he's a you know, great thinker, a great theologian, wrote a bunch of books that you'd be familiar with. He, he was in a conference, a, a conference on world religions, actually, a bunch of professors there, people talking about world religions, and, and uh, the question was asked, what makes Christianity unique compared to other world religions? And he had been out of the room when the conversation first started, and all these theologians and thinkers and philosophers are all talking back and forth, you know about what makes Christianity unique. And he came walking into the room and kind of sat down. And they said, hey, you know, uh, they called him Jack. Hey, Jack, you know, what, what makes Christianity unique compared to other world religions? And he said, oh, that's easy. 
grace. Grace, yeah, the idea that you're accepted before God and beloved before God because he chased you, he favored you, and it wasn't based upon your behavior. And everybody's like, oh, that's it. You hit it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to start with a story by Sky Jatani. He's a, he's a pastor and an author. And uh, he relates a story about holding a series of meetings with college-age students. The topics ranged across a spectrum. And the spectrum was things like doctrine, biblical doctrine, hell, dating. Um, and each conversation, they, they talked about all these things. Each conversation had three rules. The first rule was be honest. The second was be gracious. And the third was be present. On one night, the students wanted to discuss habitual sins, you know, things you struggle with all the time you can't seem to beat. And although they struggled with a variety of sinful behaviors, they all agreed on one thing. College students, they all agreed on this one thing. God was extremely disappointed with them. God was extremely disappointed with them. One student said, my parents were students at a Christian college in the early 90s when a revival broke out. They were so on fire for God. And here I am, consumed by my sin day after day. Often through tears, many other students shared similar stories about how they believe that God must be disappointed with them. After listening to their stories, Jatani asked them, how many of you were raised in a Christian home? They all raised their hands. How many of you grew up in a Bible-centered church? All the hands stayed up. Shaking his head in disbelief, Jatani said to them, you've all spent 18 to 20 years in the church. You've been taught the Bible from the time you could crawl. And you attend Christian colleges. But not one of you gave the biblical or the right answer. Not one of you said that in the midst of your sin, God still loves you. He concluded, I didn't blame the students for their failure. Somewhere in their spiritual formation, they were taught either explicitly or implicitly, that what mattered was not God's love for them, but how much they could accomplish for Him or how good they could be. Now, I want you to do a thought check here. I want you to do a faith check. I want you to think about your own journey, your own story, your own past, and I want you to really like that get beyond... Here's the thing, we Christians have been trained to throw up, and I'm sorry I use that term, but that's kind of what it's like at times, to kind of throw up the right answers because intellectually we know the right answers, right? So we'll say, you know, um, how, how, many, how are we saved? And people will say, you know, by God's grace, through faith, we trust in Jesus and his work alone. People will say that kind of stuff all the time. But your behavior, your thought processes, so many of God's people, their, their life testifies to a different story. Their life testifies to the fact that they really believe it's up to them and their good behavior to keep them on track. And if they get off track and they mess up a little bit, whack! Lightning bolt, right? You're going to become, you know, just kind of a spot of grease on the earth because God's angry with you. And many of us live with this constant narrative in the back of our minds. And this narrative is a voice that accuses us and tells us you're not enough, you're not good enough. You're a failure. You can't help but blow it. You're the worst Christian in the world. You should be ashamed of yourself. I am so disappointed in you. And we think in the back of our mind, that's God. And nothing could be further from the truth. 
So we're going to see here as we look at the text of Scripture and we get into it, that God wants to give all of us in this room this great sense of rest in being his beloved. This awareness that it's not about my striving, my doing, and my rule keeping, but it's about Jesus, 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 and Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, Galatians 2, 16 through 21. Look at it with me if you would. It'll be up here on the screen as well. It says, uh, we started with this last week. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. He says it twice now. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Read that one line. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And you can add your own law code, your own idea of what you think is necessary to get in. Let's continue. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the, treat the grace of God as meaningless. If, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Did you catch that? For if keeping the rules and jumping through all the hoops was enough to make you right with God, Jesus never had to come. We cancel out the life of Christ and everything he's done. So there's no way that keeping the requirements will make us right with God. We see that clearly in that text over and over and over again. So let's talk about that. The first point I have today, if you're taking notes, is people can't, again, people can't be made right with God by obeying the law. Look, we read here that Paul said if we try to do that, we're trying to rebuild an old system that we've died to. It's like we're going back to try to resurrect something, bring something back that we've already died to that is meaningless to us. The law system always existed for this reason, and this reason alone, to show us God's rightness and our wrongness. Did you catch that? You want to know why the commandments are there in the Bible? So we can see that we can't keep them. We're going to get into that in the other you know, chapters as we get into the book of Galatians a little more. But you're going to find as we look through this book that the reason God gave us the commandments was like a mirror. And this mirror is the perfect holiness of God and us. And we come into the mirror and all of a sudden the mirror shows us our flaws. It shows us our nakedness. It shows us our sinfulness. The purpose of commandments, the purpose of the do not do and the do this is to show us we can't do it. You don't believe me? You know, let's say what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He, he said, you've heard it said, speaking of the Bible, you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you have hatred toward a person, 
in your heart, you've already committed murder. So Jesus takes the commandment, he takes the law, and he strips away just the outward command, and he goes to the essence of it and the depth of it, and he shows us that murder is the playing out of an inner work called hatred in the heart. So when we commit murder, something has usually already been at work inside of us. And I'll bet that everyone in this room, and if you say you haven't, I'm going to say you're a liar. Everyone in this room at different times in their lives have been so angry with another person, maybe with good cause, but you've been so angry, you've been so wounded by You've, you, and you've thought in your mind, you've had passing thoughts, maybe you've cast them down, but you've had past, passing thoughts about how you'd like to come up with a plan, or I wish they would just get theirs, or when you see some, someone in the world or someone that you know that goes through difficulty, you find yourself secretly and privately, inwardly celebrating their demise, and if they fall and they fall hard, you're like, yes, privately, you never tell anybody, you're like, yes, may they fall and have their lives destroyed. And if they died, that'd be okay too. You see, that shows that we have this murder thing working in us. So what's the scripture say? Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, and this doesn't just go for men, but he's talking about human beings. But he says, I say unto you that if a man looks upon a woman, the Greek language says, looks upon a woman with the intent to have her sexually, that man has already committed adultery in his heart. You know, and a lot of the men that I know, most of the men, all of the men that I know are like, what? You know, because that just cuts right to the heart. It just goes right to the essence of our being. We know, uh, guilty, right? We know that when we seek to have someone that doesn't belong to us, that we're committing an act against that person, our, our spouse, the one that we are committed to, and against God. So Jesus cuts to the essence and the law, the commandments, they reflect back to us our need, our lostness, our need for God. That's the purpose of the law. The law is to show us our sinfulness. Are you still with me? And then I want you to notice something, why the law doesn't hold sway over us anymore. Let's look at the next things that Paul says. He says, our old self was crucified with Jesus Christ. Verses 19 and 20, look at what it says. It says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Can anybody relate? Have you ever tried really hard? C.S. Lewis makes this point as well. I know I'm quoting him, but he makes this point that nobody really knows how bad they are until they try really hard to be good, right? And so try, just like set out, I'm gonna keep all the commandments, right? So you're setting out all day long. I'm, I'm gonna do my best to, you know, not have a lustful eye, not covet another man's property or goods, not, not want things and be, you know, discontented all the time. I'm going to really, really try to make it through a day. And, and as you keep track of your inner thought life and that heart condition, you find out all day long, you're like, I can't believe it. I blew it again. I blew it again, right? Because we know that until you try really hard to be good, you don't know how bad you can really be. Okay, and that's exactly why the gospel exists. But listen to this. When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. Here's your answer. I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. See, the only way to be free from the law code is to die. 
Isn't that good news? A dead person doesn't keep the law. Right? Can't you just see, you know, it's a funny picture. Police officer pulls over a car. It's on the side of the road. Walks up to give the person a ticket because they're on the side of the road and, you know, they don't have their flashers on and maybe they've got, you know, things kind of messed up in their car and they walk up to the window and, sir, can I see your license? And, you know, you got a person sitting there and they're dead. You're not going to write them a ticket, right? Because you know they're dead. My law right now doesn't apply to this dead person. So that's Paul's answer. The only way to be free from it is to die. A dead person doesn't keep the law. You can't keep all of its requirements if you're dead. When a person puts faith in Christ, they die. You ever think about that? When you put faith in Jesus Christ, the old person you were died. You died. You died to your old life. Your old life was crucified with Christ. The reason the commandments and the laws have no accusation or demand upon you is because we're dead to them. Dead people can't keep the rules. Now, you're sitting here and you say, no, I'm very alive, believe me, right? And that stuff in me is very alive. But see, in Jesus Christ, when you put trust in Christ, all that you used to be died. And that is truly... I know it's hard for us to get our heads around it, but that's truly how you stand before God and how he views you. He sees the old Doug. If you knew the old Doug, you'd be scandalized. He sees the old Doug dead. And every time old Doug tries to come up through the course of the day, that old Doug is dead. Old Doug is dead. Old Doug is dead. Sounds like something creepy from a movie. You see, dead people can't keep the rules. Now, if keeping the law, keeping the rules could make us right, then Jesus didn't need to die. We already talked about that, but think about that. If we continue to try to make ourselves right with God by keeping his commandments or even keeping our own set of good rules or any other law code, in in effect, we make Jesus' death of no effect. If any of us had the ability to be right with God by the law, Jesus would have never needed to come to the earth. And why is this important? Because see, this is what I want you to understand. If as a believer in Jesus Christ, you begin to follow him and initially you trust in everything he's done for you, um, but you find yourself slipping into a mentality. And here's the mentality. He did it at the beginning and he got me going, but now it's up to me. And we're gonna see later in the book of Galatians that that's exactly what Paul is addressing. I started in grace. But now, it's up to me. When we do that, at that moment, we actually say to God, Jesus' death never happened. It doesn't matter. I don't need it. Thank you very much. I am now God again of my life. I am Lord of my life again. Thank you very much, Jesus, but no thank you. In effect... We make the cross of Christ ineffectual. Does that make sense? And so how are we made right? And we started on this last week. We're made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want to talk about a theological word here. If you're a note taker, I want to talk about the word justification. Can you say justification? It's, it's actually in the original language. It's the, the word that Paul uses here. And to be justified or justification, justification, what? justification means to be declared right with God. To be declared right with God. Now, here's what the Bible exposition commentary says about justification. Listen to this definition. It's powerful. 
Before the sinner trusts Christ, he stands guilty before God. And he can never, before God, but the moment he trusts Christ, he is declared not guilty. And he can never be called guilty again. Justification is not simply forgiveness because a person could be forgiven and then go out and sin and become guilty. Once you've been justified by faith, you can never be held guilty before God. Justification is also different from pardon because a pardoned criminal still has a record. When the sinner is justified by faith, his past sins are remembered against him no more and God no longer puts his sins on record. Finally, God justifies sinners, not good people. Think about this one. Paul declares that God justifies the ungodly in Romans 4, 5. The reason most sinners are not justified is because they will not admit they are sinners. And sinners are the only kind of people Jesus can save. And you see, this is why it's so dangerous if you've grown up in the church or you've grown up with a Christian background and you've really begun to believe that you're a pretty good person. And you got this down, you got this like living moral life, good life down, and you feel sorry for those poor saps that don't. When we get into that mentality, we don't understand that we're now seeing ourselves not as sinners that have been redeemed and saved by grace and therefore are saints because the saint maker is at work in us, but rather we see ourselves as good people. And as soon as we begin to self-justify and see ourselves as good people, in effect, we say, we don't need you, God. Thank you. We don't need you. Is this making sense? Some of you are looking at me. I know there's some people here. I know you're having, I call it billy goat religion. How many of you know what billy goat religion is? Inside of your mind right now as I'm speaking, you're going, yeah, but, 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 right? You're butting a lot. And why are you doing that? Because inside of you, I am sharing something right now that is the radical message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're like, yeah, but, 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 but are you saying that we can just go out and sin? That we can just do whatever we want? And we don't have to try to be good? And, we don't, and you're going through all of those machinations in the mind, which is what the gospel causes in us. It immediately causes us to present our own case. But what about, but what about, and you know, by the way, we'll get into those things. The further chapters in the book of Galatians, he talks about behavior. He gets into how the, the life inside of us lives its way out. Okay, so we'll talk about holiness. We'll talk about behavior. But here's the thing we have to understand. Nothing you do can ever make you right with God. Period. And nothing you do can ever keep you right with God. You have no ability at all to save yourself in the eyes of God. It's funny, I have to tell you, it's a great perspective standing up here because I'm looking at some faces. I looked around the room a minute ago and I saw some people just like, this is what the gospel should cause us to do. Do you know Paul was accused in his day of preaching? He, he, he preached grace. This is his message, right? Message of the New Testament. Paul was accused of preaching that they should sin more so that grace would abound. Why? Because he preached what I'm talking about, and it was so radical in the ancient world, and it's just as radical today. We always want to self-justify. And then he says something radical. Are you still with me? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Second part of 20 said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You've died 
and yet you're alive. The life in you is now the life of Jesus Christ. All your need to perform and jump through, ho- through the hoops to try to make yourself okay with God is now gone. God has given you the life of his son. Your standing with God is based upon that alone. When a person puts their trust in Jesus for dying in their place and taking their sin upon himself on the Roman cry- cross, that person dies with him. In the same way that Jesus then rose again from death, the person who trusts in Christ is filled with Christ's resurrection life. The Holy Spirit is that life. That life within is Christ's life within. So now we understand I'm dead. I died to the law. I died to all of its requirements. You no longer can bring all the accusations of my past life because that person is dead. So that all gets uh, wiped out. But now I still have to live, right? So what is the life in me now? The life in me is the life of Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit indwells me and Christ is alive in me, living out his life through me. And when Father God looks at me, he sees me as though I am Jesus and as though you are Jesus. And that is not blasphemy. That's all through the New Testament. That's your standing. That's how he sees you. I don't know about you. That's really good news. That makes me want to shout. I mean, I start feeling kind of Pentecostal. Okay, and, and then he says this. He says, I, I live by trusting in the Son of God. 20b says, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. And how's he, what's he say about him? Who loved me and gave himself for me. I love what the Amplified Version says. It says, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God. See, faith or trust here is a really important word. It means an assurance, a guarantee, a pledge, complete trust, reliance, and confidence in someone. Why is this important? Because many times when people say they believe in God, what they mean is that they agree with some statements or propositions put forth about him. That's not faith. See, see now, now don't get me wrong. We can only be made right with God by faith, but we need to be sure what we have is faith. Sometimes what we call faith or believing in God is merely that we have agreed with a set of propositions. Here are the propositions. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Check that box. Jesus rose again to make me right with God. Check that box. Therefore, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that, God, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, I, will, I shall be saved. Check that. Okay, I've, done, I've gone through the check, you know, check boxes. I'm good. That's all I did is a mental assent. I agreed with a set of propositions. But that's not New Testament Christianity, and that's not New Testament belief. Belief is a work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. And I, I love this idea. How many of you ever heard the story? I think it's Blomden, who was a tightrope walker, uh, where he, one time, he was walking between some buildings. And as he was walking between these buildings, you know, he's out there on the tightrope, and he's doing his thing. And he, there was a crowd watching him, and he turned to the crowd on each side while he's out there. And he said, how many of you believe that I could carry someone on my shoulders and walk across there? And everybody's like, yeah, absolutely, woo, yeah. And then he said, uh, who would like to volunteer? And all of a sudden, right? That is the difference between belief and trust. See, to trust is to say, Lord, Jesus, I'm putting everything, all my eggs are going in your basket. I I can't add one thing to what you've done. And my only hope is you. 
My only hope is you. I rely on you. I adhere to you. I cling to you. And I trust in you that you alone can save me, forgive me, make me right with the Father. And there's nothing I can do to make myself righter than what you did in making me right. Amen? Yeah, come on. Woo! That's, that's so encouraging. And then, and then Paul says the motivation behind Jesus for all of this is what? He loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 20, the second part again. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we trust in Jesus because he loved us first, right? We love him back because he loved us first and he gave himself for us. Actually, I like what Paul does. He uses personal pronouns to speak about his own life. He says, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. He loved me and gave himself for me. And he's standing in the stead as, as a representative human. And he's saying that, it, you know, this applies to all of us, but he's making it personal. He's saying, I am right with God because he loved me. He set his affections on me. He set his focus on me. He understood this is personal. This isn't just some, you know, amorphous, large group of the church, the universal church. This is you. This is me. This is him setting his affections on you. And Paul says he died for me. And I just have to ask you, do you believe Jesus died for you? Do you believe that he, before the foundation of the earth, looked through time and he saw you? He set his affections on you. He knew you before you were even born. He had you in mind. You were in his plan. He was after you, choosing you, chasing you, loving you. And he's loved you every day of your life from your conception on. And he's thought of you and he's pursued you. And he's moved all of creation so that you might know him. It's personal. We have to make it personal. He loved me and gave himself for me, Paul declares. It's all about his love for us. We can trust the one who's willing to love us and give himself for us. We can trust him. And then Paul ends with this. For I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. I don't know if you realize how profound that is. In verse 21, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. Paul finishes by making it clear that if you trust your own ability to keep the law, commandments, rules of God, your own rule list, in order to establish yourself as right with God, make yourself okay with Him, you're treating the grace of God as meaningless. Every time in our lives that we slip into trying in ourselves and not trusting in His work, we make the grace of God meaningless. We're canceling it out. We're canceling out the love and the self-giving that Jesus did for us. And it's not, listen, it's not that God suddenly quits loving us or extending grace to it, it's that we erect a barrier of self-righteousness before God. We erect a barrier of self-righteousness before the grace of God, and we trust in ourselves and not Jesus and his self-giving love on the cross. In God's eyes, we've already died on the cross and been judged for our sins in Jesus. That was our judgment. Now, his life in us makes us right with God. Listen, I know I've said this over and over and over again, but I've come to find that human beings, because I'm one, we're kind of slow of, of, of thought, slow of learning, man. I mean, some of us got thick skulls, right? We know, you know, we, we know genetically and biologically that men have thicker skulls than women. Uh, all the women were like, amen. 
right? We know we have thick skulls. And sometimes messages like this, it's hard to get through. You can't, you can't add anything. Let's not make the grace of God meaningless in our lives. Let's embrace grace, every bit of it. Let's squeeze every drop of grace out of God's love that we can. Let's embrace the fact that he's done it all. He finished it all. He accomplished all that we needed. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. I did it all. That is enough. Amen.